I want to jump right in this morning, and um, we're going to read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. 1 through 12, and we're going to continue on in very much the same theme as what Pastor Mark has been speaking on the last couple of times we've been together, um, because that's what Peter does in his book here. So, starting in verse 1, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, it says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God, we ask that you would um, just take these words Uh, that were written to a group of people many years ago, and God, that you would illuminate them and that your spirit would make them come alive. God, that you would use it for us today. God, that we would, um, just through the power of your spirit, be able to see ourselves in in light of these words. God, that we would see you in light of these words. God, and that you would change us so we would walk out of here different than when we walked in. Amen. So I want to jump right into the middle of what we just read and kind of start there and then work, work backwards. He says in verse 6, right? he's quoting an Old Testament scripture here from Isaiah. He says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. That cornerstone was Jesus he says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Does anybody remember who he's writing this to? Anybody? Go ahead. He's writing it to believers, to Christians. Where were they? Come on. Where were these people? Paul? They were scattered. Why were they scattered? Anybody? You can say it. They've been persecuted, right? 
They've been chased away from their homes, right? The very definition of they had been put to shame because they believed in Jesus, right? And that's the people that he's writing this to is they're, they're all over actually like what would be modern day Turkey, far from where they had, most of them had originated, where their families were. And they had literally been shamed into leaving their homes and run for their lives, left their livelihoods and some of their families behind. He's writing to a people who have given up and lost so much for the gospel. People have been displaced, who their, their, their lives have been completely upended, devastated. Some of their families, for the ones who, you know, in, within their families, some of them believed and some of their other families didn't believe, right? And so families were separated and torn apart in this, right? People who were good friends now find themselves being threatened and, and you know, murdered by their friends because they, they've chosen to follow Jesus. Peter tells them that Jesus has been placed as a cornerstone, and if they believe in him, they won't be put to shame. He's taking the experience that they're in, and he's applying the gospel to it. He's taking the experience that they're, they're having, right, this this hardship, the pain, the suffering, the persecution that they're experiencing, and he's taking and he's applying the gospel to it. He's putting a gospel spin on it, and he says, hey, I know you think and you feel like you're being put to shame, like your lives have been upended, but let me tell you, let me remind you of what God's doing here. Reminds them of the true narrative, right? They're living, and they've got this, this narrow focus, right, looking at what's in front of them, and he says, hey, let me remind you of the story that you're, you're a part of. Let, rem let me remind you. Let me quote some Old Testament scripture here. Let me remind you that this is bigger than just you. This is, this is a story that God's been writing, and you're a part of it, and you're in it, and I know this is hard right now. I know that what you're going through is difficult. But there's a bigger story, and how does the story end? It ends in triumph, Right? It ends in, in victory for those of us who believe in Jesus. Ultimately, anyone who believes in Jesus puts their faith and trust in Jesus will not be put to shame. We may, as Paul describes it in another place, experience a light and momentary afflictions. But in the end, Jesus is victorious. God will rescue us out of this sin-laden world and we'll be with him forever. Amen? So that's what Peter's doing for these believers here who have been displaced and upended and, and lives torn apart. He's reminding them of the bigger story that they're in. In verse 7, he says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Anybody ever build anything in here? Any construction people? Yeah, a few of you. If you've got something that, that doesn't fit or isn't what you expect, isn't up to your standard, isn't, doesn't fit the way that you think it should in, in, in the building process, what do you do with it? You don't use that, right? If you've got a board that's a little bit too short, right? I'm not going to try to bend my project to fit that board. I'm going to cast it aside, right? 
And this is what all of scripture tells us that has been done with Jesus, what the world has done with Jesus. When he was living on this earth, Isaiah tells us he was nothing to look at, right? They looked at him and despised him. He, was not, he wasn't at all what the world was looking for, what the world expected, what the world wanted in a leader, in a king, in a, in a person to follow. And so the world cast him aside, Right? And here, the, the, the stone that the builders rejected, that, that piece of material that the builders, that the people had rejected in their building project, that the world had set aside, has become what? You guys are going to have to get better at this. Has become what? Thank you. The cornerstone. What's a cornerstone? Yeah. What do you use the cornerstone for? Cornerstone is you measure everything off of that stone, right? So they would, have, they would have set a stone in place and called it the cornerstone and everything else, all the other dimensions for the building, everything else would have been framed and built off of that stone. It was the marker. It was the beginning. It was the, the place. It was the, the stone of honor in essence, right? So he's reminding these people that, hey, Jesus was rejected, he was the stone that was cast aside by the world. And then guess what happened? He became the cornerstone. Now who's put to shame? Right? That's what he's saying. You guys feel right now like you're being put to shame, like you've been cast aside, like you've been thrown out, like you've been put away. But that happened to Jesus too. And then what happened? He became the cornerstone. It, all along, that was the plan, that he would go through that difficulty. He would come, come out the other side as the foundation, as the cornerstone. People have been stumbling over this stone and offended by this stone forever. So in this passage that we just read, and really in this whole beginning section of 1 Peter, this is the kind of the crux. This is the crux of his argument for these people, his encouragement for them, is look at the greater picture. Look at the bigger picture. Don't keep your eyes on, on the, what you're facing and going through right now, but look at the bigger picture that you're a part of. This is the gospel. right? You guys say you believe in the gospel, that you're following Jesus. Well, guess what? This is it. This difficulty and trial and persecution that you're facing. Because that's the God that we serve. It's a God who restores what is broken. He restores what is broken. Well, it has to be broken before he restores it. Our God is a God who redeems things that have been thrown aside. He raises to life what has died. He makes new what is old. He brings to the forefront what has been forgotten. God establishes what has been put down and persecuted. He brings it back and establishes it. Do you guys believe that this morning? Yep. But knowing this, we still do everything in our power to avoid being broken, thrown aside, hurt, killed, forgotten, persecuted, put down. Right? We know the story. We know the ending. And yet we still do everything in our power to avoid going through the middle. We still do everything we can to, to fight against hurt and brokenness and we we when we're in the middle of it we look at it and we get frustrated by it 
Even though we know the end of the story, even though we know that God's going to rescue us out of it, even though we know that he's using it to grow us and to, to, to discipline us and to use it as a ministry to other people, we, could, we know all of these things, and yet we still do everything we can to buck against that and avoid it. And that's the people that Peter's talking to here, is they're struggling because they're, going, they're looking at their situation and they're going, man, really? Really? Like, I chose to follow Jesus, and now here I am, far from my home, Not, my life is completely upended. So this line in here that, that Peter's focused on, the stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. He's quoting, does anybody know where he's quoting from? It's probably in your footnote there somewhere. Psalm 118. If you would, turn with me to Psalm 118, 118. This psalm is really was a song or a responsive song that the people of Israel had sung probably many times. A song that we think David wrote and um, just, a, so we're going to read it together this morning. And this is where he's quoting out of when he, when he says this. So this is the song that he's reminding these people of. The song that he wants to call to their attention to say, hey, remember you're a part of a bigger story. You're a part of a bigger story with an ending that we already know, with a God who's victorious even in hardship and difficulty. Remember, remember. Psalm 118, starting in verse 1, he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. When they, would, when they would sing this, this is what they would do. It was like a responsive thing, right? The leader would stand up and say, let Israel say, and they would all say together, his steadfast love endures forever. And then he would like look at the different groups within, right? He'd, let the house of Aaron say, and then the house of Aaron would shout out, the steadfast love endures forever, Right? Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as a helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Right? So he goes on and on in this whole psalm, and he's just a, a constant reminder of, man, the Lord is good. We just need to look to him. We don't need to look to other people. We don't need to look to, to earthly things, to the you know, princes and kings. We don't need to look to any of that because the Lord is good. When we're facing struggle, we just need to look to him, and that's what Peter wants to remind them of. Verse 10, he says, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. 
we skip all the way down in verse 22 is where he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Right? So this is what Peter is calling up to their memory when he quotes this for them, these people who are being persecuted. I want to read from Ezra. Ezra is a story about, part of it is about when they're rebuilding the temple, right? So Solomon, David had a, a vision to build this temple. Solomon builds the temple for the Lord. And then, you know, years go by and people, the Israelites get um, separated and dispersed and conquered and the temple gets torn down. Okay, the temple gets torn down. And here we are in Ezra and it's the story of the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple. And listen to this in verse 10. In Ezra 3.10, it says, And when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. And then it gives a little quote from that song that they would have been singing. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. Right? So they laid the foundation of the temple. They took something that had been, that was majestic and beautiful and awesome, had been torn down, and they're building it back up. And what song do they sing? They sing Psalm 118. They sing Psalm 118 because it's a song of redemption. It's a song of the gospel, right? That God takes things that have been hurt and broken and torn apart, and he redeems them. He puts them back together. Church, hear this today. When you face brokenness and difficulty, the Lord is with you in the midst of it, and he will see you through to the other side. It's just what he does. And we see it over and over and over again in Scripture. It is the gospel message that out of the ashes rises something more beautiful, more holy, more like Jesus than it was before. God will raise you out of what you're going through. You just have to stay faithful to him in the midst. Years ago, I was a youth pastor, and um, every summer I would hire interns, um, and I had this guy, his name was John Minor. And we had taken a group, uh, does anybody in here know John Minor? Yeah, a couple, few of you. So John was one of my interns that summer, and we took a group of high school boys to Red River Gorge to go hiking. And we were having a great time, it was awesome. I think there were like five or six of us in total. And if you guys, could you guys put that slide up? Oh no, you're back here, aren't you, Quinn? Thank you. Anybody ever been to Haystack Rock in Red River Gorge before? Let me ask this, anybody ever been on top of Haystack Rock in Red River Gorge? One lovely soul back there. So Haystack, so we were hiking and we came to this rock and I had been by it before and I had seen other crazy people climb on top of it for whatever reason, hanging out with the teenage boys and we just got like this excitement going and we were like, let's get on top. And so, yeah, there I am, I made it. When you climb Haystack Rock, there, you can see, it's like, if you saw a picture from further back, it's like this big dome that just goes down on, on all sides for hundreds of feet, except there's like a little 
a little ledge that you can kind of climb across to get to it. But then climbing around it, if you, get, you can't see it here, but on the back side, it's almost like stair, a staircase for, at, the, at the top of it. So once you get to the back side of it, it's no big deal. You just climb right up. But getting to the back side is the tricky part. And there's like, you know, it just slopes down, and then there's like this little wrinkle in the slope, and then it goes on down for another 100 feet or so. So that's, you have to walk on that little wrinkle to get out there. There's not really any great handholds. And so anyways, me and John Minor start on our way out there. And we're, I was ahead of him. And we're just shimmying along, you know, trying not to like look down 100 feet to nothing, to death. And we're like shimmying along. And we know, I knew if we got to the backside, we could do it. Well, we make it, right? John is kind of, he's like, we get around there, and he, it wasn't like the worst thing I've ever done. It was, it was a little sketchy. But John was like hyperventilating by the time we got to the backside. Literally, like hyperventilating, upset. He lays down on one of the steps in the back, and he's just like, I'm not going back. Like, John, there's no other option, right? Like, this is it. You've got to go back. And he was like, nope call search and rescue, send a helicopter. It is not worth it. I'm going to die if I go back. And so he was totally freaked out by this, right? So we were there for like a half an hour, just like trying to, I was like, I'm not, this is my job. I'm here representing my church. I'm representing Jesus. I am not calling for help. But then on the other hand, like if John falls and dies, like that's going to be bad too. (laughs) So we're trying to figure out what to do. Finally, John, he had said on his way out, he had basketball shoes on that were like worn down to nothing because we we're just going hiking, camping. You know, you wear your old ratty shoes. So he was like, my shoes are too slippery. So I was like, okay. So I trade shoes with him. So I've got the slippery shoes on now and I give John my shoes and that kind of convinced him that, okay, he's going to be able to make it back. So we're going back and, and I get like halfway across this, like, it's like 20 feet you have to go like that. I get halfway across and I look and John's just back there going like this. I was like, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. So I had to go back and I get him and I can like, I'm like just yelling at him at this point. I was like, John, listen to everything that I say to do. Do exactly what I tell you. Put your feet exactly how I tell you to do it and go. And so we start going. And we get, there's this one part that like there's no ledge at all. Like it's like completely, you know. And so we get to that part and he's like shaking and he's like really having a hard time. And you have to like really focus or you're gonna fall. So John's shaking, so I'm trying to help him. I'm like, John, there's a hole above your head that you can reach up and put your hand in. And right as I said that, we both looked up. There are like 50 hornets coming out of this hole. And it was at that point that I was, I remember still having this thought of like defeat. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. How how can it get this bad? Like John's going to die. And there's hornets. So I grab, I take a handful of the back of his shirt, like around his neck, you know, and I'm holding on to that as I'm going because there's trees, the tops of trees about 20 feet behind us and maybe 30, they, like the tops of them are like 20, 30 feet below us. So my mind, I'm going when he falls, because I was sure at that point that he was going to fall, I'm going to throw him backwards and hope he gets in the trees. That was like the best bet, right? So anyways, longer, long story shorter, we, we shuffle our way across, and at one point, I, I like wedge my foot, and he is standing both feet on top of my foot, and I'm like, you know, like, it's really dangerous. 
We make it back. We lay down on the ground and just sob. Like literally, like we just both are like heaving, crying. And the teenagers, they're like four teenagers and they're all just like standing there like this. What is happening? Our two leaders are lying on the ground crying. But we're like that when we face difficulty in this world. We get to it and we go, seriously, are you kidding me? Could it get any worse? This is terrible. Why is it so bad? Right? And Peter's reminding them, he's going, guys, no, like, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to follow Jesus. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to be persecuted. You're going you're gonna, to, some of the people in this room will lose their jobs because they're standing on Jesus, because they're holding firm on their faith. Some of the people in this room are going to lose relationships, cut off because we're standing firm on Jesus. We're going to face rejection and hurt and pain and separation. Guys, listen to this. Sin is going to win the battle in people that we love and are close to. Sin has won the battle in some of those people, and it hurts, and it's hard to stand on Jesus and walk through those times and be faithful. The world is going to mock you for doing good. Persecution will come when you're obedient to what God's called you to do. And Peter just says, guys, don't respond to that pain the same way the world does. Don't respond the same way that the world does. Look back up at verse 1. He says, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Why does he bring that up right here in the middle of talking to these people who are being persecuted? And, you know, we, Pastor Mark talked a couple weeks ago about this idea of living holy. Why is Peter telling these people to live holy? Because when we're pressed, when we're pushed, when we're at the edge, right? I can tell you when I'm standing on that cliff, there were some words going through my head that were not holy, right? I was thinking things that were not focused on the thing that I needed to be focused on. I was responding in some ways as the world would have me respond. When the world is pressed, when the world, when, when, People who are living in their flesh are pressed. They just want to get their way and they do wrong and they lie and they cheat and they steal. They pretend to be who they aren't. They put others down to establish themselves. That's the way of the world. Followers of Jesus are not like the world. When the world does wrong, where the world responds to being pressed and does wrong to get out of it, Followers of Jesus are to put away malice, put away being bad. We don't, we don't find our way out of this trouble and out of these afflictions by turning to sinful things. Where the world lies and cheats and steals to get out of it, we are to put away deceit and stand firm in the midst of the struggle. When the world pretends to be what it isn't, we are to put away hypocrisy. When the world wants what others have, and it puts others down, we're to put away all envy and all um, slander. Verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, 
that by it you may grow up into salvation. Has anybody in here ever seen an infant when they're longing for milk? Right? Any, they, and they, they do that thing, right? Anybody ever seen that? Raise your hand if you've... Okay, good. So you guys who raised your hand, just stand up real quick. Go, it's okay. Go ahead. In case other people haven't seen this, go ahead and just show us what it... No, go ahead. Come on. I'm, I'm not kidding. What's it look like when that baby is, I think you call it like rooting, when they're rooting. Go ahead, sh- show us. Ben, show us. Yeah. Thank you. Right? Right? You didn't expect to see that when you came to church today, did you? That's what Peter says, be like that. Be like that. When we're pressed and when we're pushed and when we face difficulty and trials, and we, it's like nothing is going right. Nothing is going the way we expected it to. Nothing feels like it's going to be easy. And our tendency, our fleshly tendency, is to malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, to look at some way to find my way out of this pain, out of my difficulty. And Peter says, nope. Followers of Jesus don't do that. Followers of Jesus go like this. Right? Close your eyes, open your mouth, and wait on the Lord to feed you. Wait on the Lord. The the Lord will, will come through. He's faithful. He's done it before. He'll do it again. You just have to be patient and be steadfast and hold firm to the foundation, to the cornerstone that he is, that he has put before you to, to build your foundation on. says, as you come to him, in verse 4, as we're coming to him like an infant, right, without trying to scheme and work our way out of the pain, without trying to make it happen in our own strength, innocently waiting upon the Lord, as you come to him, he is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter compares us with Jesus. Jesus, the living stone, and us, like living stones, are being built together up into a spiritual house. Right? So Jesus is the cornerstone. He's alive. And we, like him, are being built on that cornerstone as living stones into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's own possession, made to proclaim his excellencies. When we're hard-pressed, when we can't see the way forward, when we begin to believe that maybe we've been abandoned, when we're afraid we won't make it back to safety, God reminds us who we are and whose we are And that he will be faithful just as he's been before. He says there, once you were not a people. This is uh, another reminder of the story of Hosea. right? He says, once you were not a people. Once you had not received mercy. But God inserted himself into your life and called you to a new life. He gave you mercy. And he made you a living stone being built up into that spiritual house. 
God, Peter reminds them of who they are, whose they are, and that he's done it before. Church, who are we? As followers of Jesus, who am I? Who are we, really? That's a question. Who are you as a follower? He says it right here, if you want to use some of these. We're chosen. Man, when I'm struggling and I'm going through difficulty to remember that I've been chosen by God, that God looked in all this world and he found little old me and he said, I want you to be in my family. That changes everything about the way I view my circumstances. What else does he say about us? We're a priesthood, a royal priesthood. Guys, we view ourselves so wrongly when we get in the middle of difficulty and pain. A few years ago, we went through like really hard financial trouble. And I can still remember the, the pain that it was to see the $97 water bill come in. Right? I can remember the like dread of like seeing, I can still picture that red and blue envelope, like, and we would go, we would just like sink when that would come in because we had nothing and we couldn't figure it out and we knew they were like gonna come shut off the water. And, but man, if I am rich and a $97 water bill comes in, how do I view that? Just somebody take care of that. I don't have time for that. Right? It's all about our perspective and seeing ourselves in light of who we really are. And, and Peter here reminds us, God tells us that we are a royal priesthood. We are royalty in the family of the creator of the universe. So when we face these troubles, when we face problems, when people abandon us, when things don't work out, when people that we didn't expect to pass away, he, he reminds us, hey guys, don't respond to this like, like you would if you were poor and had no resources and no ability. No, you are royalty. You are royalty. I've chosen you. You are precious to the God of the universe. He says we're his possession. Right? We're not in this alone. We don't, you know, when you're owned by someone or something, then that, that thing has the responsibility over you. You don't have the responsibility. Right? You just get to do your thing. The one who owns you deals, cleans up the messes. The one who owns you takes care of you. He reminds us who we are, whose we are, and that he's done it before. You guys, when we face um, a trial, when we face difficulty, when we face persecution, when we come up against something that seems really hard, remember that we were once enemies of God. We were once blind and, and walking aimlessly through this earth with no direction and no idea of where we were going, and, and God rescued us out of that. If he can rescue you out of that, if he has rescued you out of that, then he can do anything. And he can care for you even in the midst of difficulty. The band, if you guys want to come up, you can. Last thing I want to look at is verse 11 and 12. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, 
right? He says, don't turn to these things when you're, when you're facing difficulty. Don't turn, don't find, try to find your way out of it by following the fleshly desires. He says, those things wage war against your soul. But in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The very people who are hurting you, putting you to shame, abandoning you, killing you, will see your good deeds. They'll see your endurance. They'll see your faithfulness through the midst of that. And they will come to a place where they begin to glorify God. That's what he's saying. The way that you guys react, the way that you endure, if you, if you respond and react the same way that the world does, they're not going to be at all impressed by that or want to find out who this God is that you follow. But as they're persecuting you, as they're putting you down, as they're firing you from your job, as they're abandoning you, whatever it is, as they're doing that and they see your faithfulness, they see you holding strong and they see that you, you have something different about you. You don't walk around like, I, like they walk around. You walk around like you're royalty. You walk around like you have a God who owns you that's bigger than you. You walk around and you respond to things like, man, like you've been through this before and, the, and, and, and God's been faithful to you, right? They see those things. That's why he says we're a priesthood, right? The priests were the ones who interceded, who went between, the go-between, between the people and God, right? So all of this is so much bigger than just me, so much bigger than just you in the way that you respond, the way that you, you go through difficulty and trials is so much bigger than you because you, Christ has set you up as a priest, a royal priesthood. Collectively, we are a royal priesthood that the world looks at and that the world will be brought to God through us. We're the ones interceding on behalf of the sinful people we're the ones who made a way for the people to come to God and to be accepted. I love the way 11 and 12 read in the message, and then we'll be done. It says, live an exemplary life in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Guys, when, when you're hard-pressed, when, when you're on the edge of the cliff and you can't imagine it getting any worse, jumping off doesn't just injure you. Turning to um, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and Finding any way out of that pain, any way out of that difficulty doesn't just affect you. You're the priest that stands in the gap for the world around you. And he says, stand firm. Hold on through the pain. Remember the gospel. Know that this is just the way it is for God's people. And when you do that, those people that are prejudiced against you, they're going to look at that and they're going to they're come to Jesus because of that. Pray with me. God, I pray that you would give us a vision um, outside of ourselves and our circumstances. 
God, that for Living Church, you would show us and remind us and keep us in a place living in the greater picture. God, that you would help us to really put on the identity of being chosen and precious by you, of being that royal priesthood, God. God, that you would remind us when we when we do get narrow-focused and we look at only our circumstances and only the difficulties that we're in, God, that you would, you would be there in it with us and you would remind us of the victorious ending to that story. God, remind us every day of the gospel. God, help us to be faithful and God, use our faithfulness as a light to those around us who... God, as we, we don't wage war against flesh and blood, God, we, we're not fighting against them, even if they're fighting against us. We just get to be the example of what it looks like to be in love with you and let you do the rest, God, in saving them. And so we just ask you to do that, that you would use us as that priesthood, God, to draw people to you. And we love you so much, and we need you in all of this, and none of this is are we capable of on our own strength and power? So God, do it in us today.